sports fans rejoice. You're listening to my team, my voice with MTMV Sports. Hey, what's going on? It's Justin Sarachik, editor of Rapzilla.com, and you are watching MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. You can also find us on MTMV Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to both stations that you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. All right, welcome back to the KYP Podcast. It is a historic day today as I have a very special guest, uh, Coach Magpayo is the head coach at UCR men's basketball. Uh, he is well-traveled uh, through high school and college and now the head coach. And I am thrilled to have him here as a part of our show. Coach, thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks, Nick. Um, well, why don't we start here at the beginning? Because you and I were talking before we got on here uh, about where you were before you got into college. Talk to me about you playing, how you fell in love with the game, uh, some of the coaches you learned from, and where you played at high school. High school, actually, Jeff Lucas was my coach. Uh, I was actually a better baseball player, though, so I was I was playing baseball as well as basketball, and I started to focus on baseball, thinking that I had a chance to make it in baseball. But I just always had a passion, I love for basketball. And if you're Filipino and you grow up Filipino, like my parents, my dad, he coached me when I was young. It's all about basketball. It's our national sport. Um, and so I started coaching when I was uh, when I was young. I was 16 years old. I started helping my dad out, coach our little brother and little sister. And then as I got into college, I started coaching uh, eighth grade boys. And, um, you know, I went to UC Santa Barbara. I wasn't good enough to play there, but just started coaching and then graduated from college and always coached the high school team where I was at for the next nine years. I continued to coach in, kind of in your area as well. I was at Newport Harbor and Elisa Miguel, also coached at Redondo Beach, Redondo Union High School. Um, and then somehow lucked into a college spot 10 years ago, and, and here we are. You started young as a coach, uh, starting when you were 16 and working with your dad and coaching your, uh, your family. What did you learn as a young coach that maybe you still keep with you today? Man, you know, when I was younger, I was just like probably like a lot of, a lot of other young coaches, just really aggressive, really um, lose my cool probably way too much. Um, argue with the refs way too much. And, uh, you know, I was just after coaching for 12 years, just kind of got some poise and calmed down a little bit and had some, had some successful years later on in my high school. But I think that it's, there's something completely different about being an assistant coach to being a head coach, as you know, just that you're blacked out up there a little bit, you know, you're trying to make decisions. It's happening fast. and, And hopefully even those moments at the high school level will help me now as I transition to the head coach role because as an assistant it's 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 a lot easier to make suggestions and to just feel confident in what you're doing but as a head coach as you know it just it's a different world um so hopefully all those years at the high school level even will, will pay dividends let's talk about that you spent several years coaching in high school talk to me about the high schools that you work with the coaches that you learned from and what that experience was like for you yeah, I've all, I always believed this. Even when I was seven years old and my first baseball coach and my first basketball coach, I just was lucky enough to have really good coaches. Young, Even at the, the young age, and my dad was a good coach. 
Um, and then in the high school level, my first high school job was working for a guy named Tom Meyer at Redondo Union. Um, and he's, you know, he was a legend and had a lot of success, won, won state championships with a bunch of actually college players, um, Dion, Dion, Dijon Thompson went to UCLA and whatnot. And then I, I moved to Orange County because I was in the business world. I was running a real estate company, and that's where the real estate boom was. So I, I had an office down there. So I started coaching at Newport Harbor for Larry Hurst, who's now retired. Um, so just to learn from him, he's a lot calmer, um, big man coach, um, good with big men. And then I, I moved to Elisa Miguel and Keith Barnett, who's still there, and, and, and learned from him, learned how to manage. Michael Roll was there at the time, and he's, he, was, you know, he ended up going to UCLA and just – learned how to manage a college player like that. So, you know, had really good and really positive, motivating, encouraging coaches, you know, not, not Bobby Knight style more, I'd say like Brad Stevens, Phil Jackson style. And those are actually my idols anyways. So it just, just to learn from these guys. And I really believe in them. That's kind of our point of difference as a coaching staff. We really coach in a really like encouraging, positive, motivated environment. I love that. <clears throat> you talked about, you went into the business world. Um, Talk to me about what you learned in the business world that helped you in coaching and what you helped in coaching or what you learned in coaching that helped you in the business world. Oh, for sure. I mean, they, they really are parallel universes. Like, you know, I, I got into the business world and I just was kind of working my way up and then kind of took a chance and started my own company with my, my best friend and business partner from college. And we had success. We grew fast. And now, now to be fair, it was during the boom. Um, but still it was managing our, at the, at the, the biggest, we were at 40 employees. So we had 40 employees and I was kind of in charge of managing the, especially in training the sales team, very similar to coaching a team. So just, just the same ideas of like coaching a group, encouraging a group. And then if you're really going to call somebody out, try to pull them off to the side individually in, in, in my office, really similar ideas and just the techniques of really leadership, you know, like the, what a lot of, I think, and, and I've been with four different head coaches now um, at the college level, what, what you don't realize is, is they've never been in these leadership positions before. So one of the strengths and probably the benefits I have is that I ran a company and I was in that leadership position and just making decisions, especially going to the real estate market of 0708, like just the real estate crash, we came out the other side. And today, like to just even right now, we don't have, we're not back in our practice. We're not back practicing yet. So we're just trying to keep these guys together, leading them. Um, and just the messaging, you know, that's really important. I've always believed in that and messaging leading. And so like that leadership is different than coaching. It's the same. I mean, all coaches should be leaders, but that, that leadership piece was really something that I was able to develop and fine tune while I was running my company. I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing uh, team building and communication. Those are things that you learned there that you, that you now do today. Uh, how do you, in, in this, in, in this uh, you know, time that we're in now, how do you excel in team building and communication with your players? Yeah, so when, when I got the job July 1st, when, when David Patrick left for Arkansas, obviously it was, a, it was a hustle to make sure that we retain everybody. So that was more in the first five. And that's why you have to have great relationships, head coach, assistant coach. And so we had, our staff has really good relations with the guys and we're a pretty tight knit culture. That's why we've had success accelerated pace in the first two years. You know, we had a winning season tied the most wins at UC Riverside last year in our second year in the program, because we have a really good culture of accountability and all that stuff. So, but the, the two months, basically I'm really organized, I try to be organized and have a plan. So the plan was we're going to have a six week program in the summer, 
that even though we're not together, it'll be just like we would be. We'd have a six-week summer program. You guys would be here. The only difference is you'd be running kids camps, and then we'd have like an hour for, four, you know, four hours a day. I mean, four hours a week and whatnot. So we just put together a six-week plan, and um, it actually involved, you know, if you're talking about communication, that was a big, that's a big piece for us. So that's, that's a place that we can grow. That's an opportunity for improvement, as we like to call it, for us in the offseason. So in this, um, in this environment, I had the guys, and I got it from one of my buddies who's an MBA assistant. I had the guys volunteer and say, like, hey, do you guys want to be a part of some of these Zooms and, and present your hometown, something about yourself, and it's crazy. It really proved by the end of the six weeks and all the guys did a great job as we, every guy did one guy did something every, every week, but it really proved like we're putting together these great PowerPoint presentations, just trying to keep these guys engaged, teaching film, teaching some of our defensive coverages and offense and whatnot. And to see them just kind of copy us, it's like, they do as they see. So by the end, like some of the presentations that they were putting out were high level and the way that they're, they've become so much more articulate and we just had a meeting last week about some of the social justice matters that are going on and just to hear them speak up and like where they've gotten. I, I know for sure my job isn't just to get them good from September to April in basketball. My job is to develop them as men. And they've definitely developed, even in this first two months, my job as head coach, they've done a really great job of growing and communication has been a big part of it. That's, uh, I love that. And I think that's a great thing that you had the players um, you know, give a presentation about themselves and what they believe in. I think that's terrific. There's nothing that people like talking about them more than themselves. And so uh, I think that, that, that that's a great way to have them expand, have them get to know each other, and also work on communication and, and presenting skills. I think that's public speaking skills. I think that's a great idea. Um, let's backtrack. Now let's talk about you, you spent, you, you coached at several colleges, Columbia, Campbell, uh, USF, and then finally as an assistant in UCR, what did you learn going from the business world in high school to now Division One major college basketball? How did that happen? How did you get to there, and what did you learn from it? It, it was really, you know, I was, we survived the real estate crash, and, I, and it's fine. I've told this story a few times lately as, as I, now that I've gotten this job, and I just wrote, and I was going to New York to NYU to get my master's in real estate, because I was like, if we're going to do this, like, I got to learn. You can't, we barely survived the crash and came out the other side. Um, and uh, I just wrote letters to colleges in the area. And I just got one response from Kyle Smith at Columbia. He just got the job and started volunteering for him for a couple months and worked his camps. And he ended up really liking me. And actually the, the reason, so Kyle Smith, and even now today at Washington state, he runs a very intensive and we run the same thing here. Analytics, statistics, heavy tracking program, whether it's shooting all your shooting drills that we do, whether it's like conditioning or whether it's just five on five play, it's a whole like money ball system. And so I think that's why I was able to get in. He's like, okay, this guy kind of has an acumen for coaching, but he can actually, you know, I came at the bottom rung, which is a director of operations in the, on a division one staff. And it was just like, okay, this guy can run a business too. So he can put together this program that I need to implement here at Columbia in our first year. So that was kind of my, I was lucky, you know, if I had known, you know, I never played college basketball, so I didn't know like how hard a job is to get, you know, it's a, to, to get into a college basketball program um, is, is really hard. He has a thousand resumes on his desk, but anyways, it was better that I didn't know because I was just kind of working my butt off and he hired me, you know, and there for four years, Kyle Smith is probably one of the best in the country at running a program. And that means A to Z 
you know, I remember the first thing he told me, he's like, tell me about yourself. And I was like, oh, I can really coach. I can really, you know, I really have a uh, hunger. He's like, yeah, 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 I know you're a sponge. He's like, that. nobody cares about that. Just so you know, in college basketball, number one is recruiting. Number two is scheduling. Like way down the list is coaching and X's and O's. And I was like, what? You know, so, but he kind of taught me how to run a program. And, and I was really heavy scheduler for him. So I learned how to schedule at the mid-major level. And that's, that's the really, besides recruiting, that is like, it's 1A and 1B. Like people don't realize that. Even for you, scheduling is important. Because at the end of the season, they don't know, like they just know your record, 20 and whatever. And, and who did you play and whatnot. Sure, you know, but it's, it's, scheduling is extremely important. And then running a program, a 12-month program. And Kyle is excellent at that. And so then I went to Campbell just to get a different feel for it, expand my coaching tree. And I worked for a guy named Kevin McGeehan who came from the University of Richmond program was coached by Chris Mooney there and that's a very Princeton offense program Chris Mooney played at Princeton and so just and also get out of the Ivy League where there's no scholarships it was just nice to jump to a place and in North Carolina in the south that was a big move for me probably the only Asian around in in North Carolina Bowie's Creek North Carolina but they love sports beautiful arena beautiful facilities and just to get the feel of like it's completely different there where they just love it they love sports they pour money and resources into that Um, and then learn the Princeton offense you know completely learn the Princeton offense and how they operate and um, and then I went back to Kyle at San Francisco when he got the job at University of San Francisco and then DP you know who's in our coaching tree you know Kyle and DP worked together at St. Mary's under Randy Bennett who is probably the king of how to build and run a successful mid-major program. DP got the job here and I was here with him for right-hand man for, with him for two years. And, and uh, I was just lucky to, to continue to, to grow under him. And, and, you know, where DP was excellent is he let me grow. You know, he let me coach. He really like was go get him, go get him, Mike, go, go out there and get him. And now we're really lucky. We have a full cupboard of guys because DP is one of the best recruiters in the country. Like we have nine guys from New Zealand, Australia, and it's, that's our point of difference. We're huge. We get six guys over six ten. So if we actually get this product to the court, we, we have a chance to to compete um, for the Big West title. I think this year. But yeah, so all different pieces of the puzzle. But these guys are all kind of geniuses and so talented in their own right. Um, that, that's great to hear. I, I I was thinking about you when you were mentioning scheduling and how important that is. When I coached at Cal State Fullerton many years ago. Um, there was the, the newspaper, and I don't remember what it was called, but it was a division one kind of newspaper and you open it up and it would have the strength of schedule and have all the teams in America and their strength of schedule. And our coaches would take pride in the fact that we had one of the lowest strengths of schedules at that time, because we said exactly like what you said, coach Burt said, exactly at the end of the day, they only see 20 wins. They don't know where it came from. They don't realize, they don't care how good the other teams were. If you get 20 wins or whatever it is, that's the goal. And at that time, at a mid-major, that's, that was our goal. As we got better, obviously, we scheduled better people, had some guaranteed games in there and things that ended up making it good. But at that time, it was a point of emphasis to schedule. That was a game to schedule as low as you can to try to get as many wins as possible. So I do understand that. I do understand that. In high school, we're slightly different. We want to play. It's a little bit different in high school, you know what I mean, because – you know, you want to, you, you want to challenge the kids and it's a little bit different, but I, I get what you're saying. Um, so now you're taking over at UCR and I've always had a special place in my heart for UCR growing up in Moreno Valley. My mom still lives there now. I have friends there going to school in Moreno Valley, going to Mount San Jacinto up in Hemet and, and all those things. And, and uh, 
you know, I've always, always rooted for UCR. And so when I learned that you were the coach and I read up on you and I talked to a couple of my guys at Fullerton who are friends with yours, I really was excited about, you know, the potential that you guys can have there and bring in good basketball to that area. Talk to me about, and you mentioned it a little bit before, building a culture. Um, what is, what is your culture there? What is the things that you emphasize that's important to you? And how do you, how do you teach that to your players? Yeah, I think it's, I think you got to recruit it first. So we have a high performance culture and, and, and I'll explain what that means in just a little bit, but first off, you got to recruit guys that are good guys. Like you got to recruit guys that have good work at great work ethics and great attitudes. And that's where we start because if you, if you can't, and even DP as talented as a recruiter, as DP, David Patrick, as talented as a recruiter, as he was, he still held that standard of like, I want guys that I know can watch my kids. And so, you know, for me, I want guys that are, have great character. Then I know I can coach them, you know, and uh, you know, and I've learned even being at Campbell, I had guys that were like, a little more talented but they were a little tougher for for our coaching staff to coach and that's not conducive to the kind of program that I want to run so we get guys that are in that believe in being a good person right and working hard and that love love being in the gym so our staff is full of basketball junkies and most coaches are and so you want guys that are like that and then you know it's something I preach you want light bulbs we want guys that are fountains not drains so when I walk in the gym, I just want a guy that's going to light up the gym. That's going to be like, what's up, Coach Mike, and say what's up to me and just dap me up. And, and those are the kinds of guys I want to surround myself with. With that, now I can, now I can have this program, this high-performing program. So, again, it is very work-intensive on the staff. We track everything. It's whether the 10 shooting drills that we do, every shot. Basically, every shot that you take from the day you step into our workouts is tracked. You'll know your percentages. Just, just even that tracking and accountability – gets these guys performing at a high rate and just trying to compete number one against themselves. And that's the number one goal. And then again, against their teammates. So it's just tracked every single day. And you know, that we, we kind of tie in a lot of film, you know, there's a lot of film and it, but it's, everything's very organized. We just want to pop from one thing to the next. Everything is planned. Everything is organized. We want to run this like a professional organization. If we are going to hold these players accountable to touching the line every single time, turning the right way every single time, tracking every single shot, we have to operate with that same professionalism and, and, and perform in that same way. So it could be the chairs being lined up exactly the way we want and getting, getting, you know, the film on the court, just like, and we kind of got it from NBA teams as, as we've seen them do it. When we were at Columbia, they would always come practice at our place, boom, film on the court, 10 minutes, not, not longer than 10 minutes. Cause they don't have that concentration. Boom. You're into your dynamic warm up, and then, and practices pop from one thing to the next. I'm like, love Pete Carroll. Love, you know, love Chip Cal I love that idea. Just don't want, and I've worked for different high school, like I won't say never, like I worked for a high school, I was falling asleep as an assistant, you know, and so I want, I want practices to pop and I want them to enjoy it. Just like any, like if you were to go work out, I want, I want you to want to come back to that workout. I want you to finish strong. And that's for the most part, the way that I want our practices to run. Um, and then that itself, if you have that energy in which we created here at UC Riverside very, very, very quickly with all the credit goes to coach Patrick and the staff, but coach Patrick, he just, he'll hold you accountable. And he, so he comes from Jamie Dixon, Johnny Jones. He's a talented recruiter, but he still holds that accountability piece. It, it, it's so huge. And I'm talking about like, you got to start behind the line every single time. I mean, and that, that's where our accountability starts. If I was to write a book about accountability and Kyle Smith was telling me this, it's touch the line, start behind the line every single time and touch the line every single time. And if you can't and be on time, and if you can't hold them to those two things, touch the line and be on time, like start there, start there. And so we really do. 
And these guys, it's nuts because I won't start the drill until they start start behind the line, whatever it is, you know, or they're pointing or whatever it is. And so um, then that allows you to kind of like, you're holding accountable to that stuff, but I don't lose my, you can't, you know, we really want that positive, motivating, encouraging environment. So all that stuff that we're tracking allows us to kind of tie it together and post it later and show it to them later and not stop practice as much. You know, I want them to, to, to I want to coach them positively. I'm not going to stop every single time you miss a box. I'm going to coach you on it real quick, but you're going to see it on film the next day and you're going to know it's tracked. You're going to say, well, I had 10 missed box outs yesterday. I had a bad day. And you're going to see where you stand next to your teammates. So it's a really interesting way to coach because it allows us to like to not lose our minds in practice because we know we're going to clean it up later with the tracking and the film. That's very interesting. I, I, I think it takes probably a lot of work to do that. That would be harder to do at other places that are not a division one school. So I assume you have a, a gang of managers there who, who work at that and track that and then break down your film and then give you the finished product along with your coaches. Um, but that's great to hear that, you know, you don't have to take a long time on it because you and the players know that we're going to talk about it the next day. We're going to see it. You know, the eye on the sky doesn't lie, and we're going to be able to see that. Um, you talked about recruiting and recruiting good people. How is it that you are able to tell while watching a recruit that he is a good person? Like, how do you make that evaluation before you sign him? Sure. You know, something I learned from, DP, from David Patrick, you know, he really, number one, you surround him. You want to know all the people around him. So you get a feeling for them by knowing their family and whatnot. But most of the time you want to go for guys that you have a previous relationship with and you know them in some way, shape or form um, or a relationship with somebody that's connected to them because you really want to get to know the person. That's huge for me. But if I'm watching film or if I'm watching a game, you just see them like you see how they. So first, for instance, our first my first commit as a head coach is a kid named Kobe Jerome. He's the younger brother of Ty Jerome. So number one, great pedigree. Um, number two, I've known him since he was eight. He used to come to our little kids camps at Columbia, but watching his film, like he is a piece of point guard. He is patting everybody on the butt, every single one of his teammates. He is doing all the things that you would want as a coach. And those are, if I was, if you and me were to go play, I'm nobody's, nobody's throwing out more sugar than me. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm really positive. I'm talking a lot, communicating and whatnot, but I, and to, so I look for that in players to see how they react. And it's really important. So body language, that's, that's really, that's, I, 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 I can't get past that. I won't recruit a guy, you know, but, but, you know, I will say this. So, so some guys, maybe they react a little bit and whatnot, but they got a 3.8 GPA. So to me, that, that means that he is a, an achiever in, in one aspect of his life. And I can kind of deal with that. You know, obviously the ideal kid is a pleaser and achiever, a guy that's just like a great kid. And he's just always doing everything that you would want. Um, but it's all of it, right? Like I know their family and the AAU coach and all the coaches. I personally love to recruit through the high school coach. Like if you had a player, I'd be talking to you. I like to talk to the high school coach, probably because I came from that. But I just value the high school coach. I, I value the high school program more, more than I do um, the other programs. And just, just, just what it is, I just think it matters more. I hope it continues to matter more, but I just think it matters more. And so I really would get down in the nitty gritty with the high school coach. And he'd tell me, tell me about this kid. And so um, I can't do without it. I won't, I won't recruit. <laughs> I probably will. You know, I'm going to get tested, you know, just uh, there's going to be times where I'm going to get tested or there's going to be this amazing transfer that just wants to come. And I got to figure out, can I coach him and can I hold him accountable? Um, it always helps. Like if I had a great relationship with a mom, 
for instance, or like maybe the high school coach who, who I know is the one that if I, that, that's going to help me, then I, then, I, then I will go take a chance on that kid if I know that I have a teammate that's going to help me hold him accountable. Um, but for me, it's like, and Kyle taught me this, I can sleep at night if I have a guy, if I know that he gets good grades. I'd rather pour all of my effort and resources in the basketball court and on film, in film and basketball, than having to track you down for your classes and do because I've been there. I've done do class checks at Campbell and whatnot, and I don't. I, I just it's not fun. I like basketball, you know. Like that's why that's why I do this. So I, I prefer a guy that kind of has that side of his side of the street clean. I really appreciate to hear you uh, hear you say that you value the high school coach. Um, and, you know, the importance that you find in the high school coach, and, and I couldn't agree more, not because I am one, but because I've, I've, I know both sides, and I know the way that this, that this operation works, and to be honest with you, most of the kids that I've coached that have, that have signed somewhere uh, have gone through the high school coach anyway, regardless of where they played AAU, believe it or not, um, and so it's, you know, because you know most coaches come through the high school ranks, and they know what what work high school coaches put in and they know that high school coaches know the kids better than any other coach out there because we're with them from ideally from freshmen all the way up we know all their class we know their teachers we know their parents their brothers and sisters came through we know all that stuff so uh that is uh i i i'm hoping that a lot of coaches keep your values on that with the high school coach because that is the best way i think to get to know somebody um on the court on the court one of the things that you're known for is your uh, defensive philosophy, how you teach defense, how you implement a defense in with the team. Talk to me about your defensive philosophy, uh, where that comes from, uh, if that changes from team to team, and what your, what your fundamentals are that you always stick with no matter what. You know, we, I, I, so I started with Kyle at Columbia, and, and we, our defensive coordinator at Columbia was a guy named Todd Golden, and he um, – former St. Mary's player. He's now the head coach of University of San Francisco, and he's one of, my, one of my best friends. But he actually, in our last two years there, implemented the ice. So kind of learned how to keep teams on the side of the floor. And then, we, and then I go to Campbell, and they were – like the Princeton, Princeton family just switches everything. So I kind of learned the matchup zone and how they switch and how they pass off, like, rollers and whatnot. Um, and if you want to do that, you got to have all guys 6'6 six, six to 6'8". Six, but here, then we go back to San Francisco and we're back to icing because Todd Golden was a defensive coordinator there, you know, and I was a defensive coordinator at Campbell and I implemented the ice, but we weren't really big enough to do it. Uh, we, we had, we improved a lot defensively from the matchup zone to icing and, and man-to-man defense. Um, and then at Riverside, we, this last year, DP allowed me to, to coach a defense and we went to the ice and, uh, keeping guys on the side of the floor. And I studied a lot of Texas tech and one of my former players is a coach there right now. And so that was, that was huge for me to kind of learn that. And then DP worked for the Australian national team in the last year's world championships. And they, they have a really, they try to do the same things and in the middle, middle of the floor, they keep their bigs close to the basket. So it starts with this. We recruit big at every position. So there's not a guy, there's not a player shorter than six, three on our team. So our point guards are six, three and everything. And we're big at every position that helps us, that length and size helps us, number one, keep teams on the side of the floor. And number two, we got some rim protection. So just you and me are guards. We're trying to keep a guy. We're getting aggressive, but we know that we got big seven-footers back there. So that helps. Um, and then what we learned this year, you know, we, what, you, what you emphasize is what you're going to get good at. So our first year, we were not good defensively. We focused on trying to get our team to be able to shoot and, like, improve the three-point percentage offensively, and they did, but we were terrible defensively. 
in this in the off season between one and two, year one and two, all we worked on is toughness. But I mean, I can't even tell you it was tough. We did MMA fighting, we did boxing. Um, it was about keeping our hands up. We we do our defensive drills early in practice, not not against each other, but with bricks. So, I mean, that's the level that we took this thing to, and they got good. We were ninth in the country defensive rebounding. We were twelfth in the country two point field goal percentage. Um, we made huge top 100 defensively, top 10 scoring defense. Now we played slow, so that in all fairness, but still top 10 scoring defensively. It gives your guy, you know, a big part of coaching again is creating a narrative for your team, and they because they, they'll believe in it if you preach it and you believe. And so they believed in our defense. It was it was our point of difference last year, um, keeping your hands up and deflections, you know, all that. And that's something we track as well. But knowing that we got big seven footers in the back and we're big at every position helps us defensively so that's kind of what we will stick to here um, we're just going to be continue to be big and I mean it's no secret to anybody in our league we ice we try to keep you on the side of the floor we're very aggressive with it um, you're a big time numbers guy uh, you get it from Kyle Smith and some of the guys that you've had and you have a background in it give me two or maybe three stats that are the most important that you measure on defense that help you understand that you're doing the job that you want to do you know what's funny is that when I was at Columbia, the first job that Kyle Smith gave me was coach rebounding. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, we track everything. We track box outs, miss box outs, offensive rebounds, defense rebounds, tips, offensive no-goes and defensive no-goes. So those seven things or whatever it is, we, as you, every, we got a lot of programs that do it. And, they're, that, and it all comes from the Randy Bennett coaching tree, like Ron Gannat at Hawaii, Rick Croy, Cal Baptist, Todd Goldman at San Francisco, ourselves, and then Washington State. And if you look at all of our – rebounding efficiency there is a rebounding efficiency we are all very good defensive rebounding teams um so I'll always always focus but but I I look at that I I know that I can always coach them and get us good at that but just on the defensive defensive side it's just points per possession you know and just and and it's a big it's really easy to say but like points per possession that's why analytics has kind of taken over whatever people are so scared when you say analytics but really it's just tracking like Efficiency defensively is just a way to track it for us and, not, and to protecting the rim as best you can. You want to force guys to take tough twos. Uh, we call them twos over a hand. Um, but the way to do that is points. I don't want to put in a player. Some are going to pick up over the years. They're naturally, as a player, if you're around our program for four years, they're going to get some analytics, but it's not their job. It's the coaches and staff's job to, like, study it and put teams in the right position. And then, you know, if you're just both offensively and defensively, but I'll look at lineups. Like, I'll just say, like, who's our best defensive lineup? I mean, you can get that stuff nowadays. It's crazy. There's so many analytic companies and whatnot. And so that's important to me. Like, who's who are the five guys out there if I really need to get a stop? Or that are we, you know, we we – Irvine's the best team in our league. We held them scoreless. But if I was – it's for me, it's, it's guarding the three would be number one, and then points per possession. Those kind of go hand in hand. No, I like, I like hearing them specific because, as you said, there are so many statistics, and it's enough to make a coach just not even – just throw his hands up because, you know, you can't focus on every single one. And there are some stats that I've never even heard of, you know, things I don't even know. And I've studied the game my whole life. It's, but I like to hear that points per possession, your defensive lineups, and guarding the three-point line. Uh, you know, I think those are that's that those are reasonable things for a coach to be able to uh, coach to be able to measure. 
Yeah, because you can tie it to your shell drill, for instance. Like, well, you know, what's a good goal for you? Let's say, hey, wait, basically you want to try to stay under a point of possession. So if you're doing a five-man defensive segment and you want to focus on defense, you just try to keep the scout team or this offensive group, try to keep them under a point of possession. Like, mm-hmm. it, like for, especially if you're going against scout team. Like, if you're just – if your ten guys that you play the most are going against the five guys on scout team – it's just 10 minutes on, uh, or like you keep possessions, just 10 minute segment. Can you keep them under a point of possession? If you don't, then you're, you know, then, then there's like some sort of accountability. It's just a really good, easy thing for them to understand. That's true. I will say that the scout team kind of has superhuman powers because they, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> because they, if, if they score, then they're doing their job. And if they get stopped, then the defense gets praised. And so there's no, you know, they don't have to worry about getting yelled at for doing so. so everything they do is good. Every, either you're no, happy or they're happy. So either way it works. But you're right. A lot of times, you know, I've seen this. You know, you get the scout team on. And the scout team dominates. The starters like, well, how Absolutely. did that It's because Absolutely. they're not accountable for anything. All oh, they just go out and play. If we could just do that everywhere, we'd be really good. But I get what you're saying. No doubt. It happens all the time. And, and like, as an assistant, I'd be like, coach, like, don't lose your mind. Like, this kid's just out here, like, just crossing guys over, shooting threes. It like, it's not that big a deal. Like, my, my, but I'd be interested to see how I react as a head coach. But, yeah. like, to me, there's two different types of drills defensively. Like, there's effort drills. And if you're not – this is – I'm telling you this is an effort drill, so give me your effort. And then there's coverage drills. Like, we are very specific on our coverages. So, like, you go into a game versus UC Santa Barbara and they run this certain action a lot, like – all five guys got to know their responsibility. It's just like football. And that, that's where football has the edge, right? They have defensive coordinators. And so, like, that was, for me, I'm very – if this is a coverage drill, and that's where NBA teams are good, we're, we're practicing this coverage. It's not so much about the effort. The guy bangs a crazy step back three at the end of the clock. Don't lose your mind. Like, this is the coverage drill segment of practice. I like that correlation with, uh, with football. I've always said – football coaches are the smartest coaches because they made their game so difficult for people to learn that you can't sit in the stands and criticize the coach as easy as you can for us. Our game is so easy. They just sit in the stands and they say, well, I can do that. I know all these things. So football coaches are smart for keeping it complicated. Uh, The average person doesn't learn it. Um, Let me ask you another question on defense. How do you develop a player into a great defender? Uh, Every great defensive team has that one guy who can cover anybody you know, either either one through four or two through five or whatever it is, and that's that guy, and he locks in, so that guy's not going to get to his spots. How do you develop a player, or can you, how do you develop a player into a great defensive player? Well, I, Frank Fraschilla said it earlier in the quarantine. Like, he was saying that if you just – if you take over a team, what you can always do is make them a good team defense. You can get good defensively. And even Kyle, he took over Washington State last year, and he said, you know what, And you, if you were watching Washington State game, you'd freak out because you'd be like, what are some of these shots they're taking? But Kyle lived with those shots, but he was holding them accountable because he said, I'm going to get them good on defense and defensive rebounding. And they did. They were very good defensively. So I think you – and we proved it. We were atrocious. We were 330th in the country defensively last year, and we jumped to top 100 in one year, in one offseason, because we emphasized it. So – as a team, we got good defensively, and individually, they got good, got good defensively, but it's emphasized. So, Virginia, if you were to go to a Virginia practice, they work on two-on-two closeouts every single day at the start of their practice. What does that tell your team? This is what we're going to do every single day. And we did. We, we as well did that. You know, like, we're more keep guys on the side, but our, we're working on two-on-two closeouts every single day to start practice. Part of our dynamic warm-up is 
verticality at the rim, you know, so like you're making that decision. Are you outside the charge circle? Are you inside? If you're outside, you got to take the charge. If you're up, if you're inside jumping up, get your hands behind your head and, and don't come down. So those are drills that we do every single day, even on walkthrough days, like little, little tiny drills just to keep getting their hands up, making sure that they're keep. And we, we do a lot of chest blows. So I really do believe like meaning chest blows, meaning like we in the dynamic warmup, I have a ball. I'm just giving you chest blows so you get used to getting your hands out of there and not fouling um, and taking it in the chest and making sure sliding your feet. So I believe you can get good. I, I know for sure you can cr- create a good team defense, but I, I think we proved last year you can get everybody pretty good individually, defensively as well. Um, I, it's interesting to hear you say, I'm glad to hear you say you work on closeouts a lot, you know, and I'm sure you know this too. A lot of the college and pro coaches I talk to now say they don't closeouts are a thing of the past. I mean, closeouts are like the mid-range jumper of defense. You know, they don't work on it anymore. You never see an NBA player close a guy out. And, but yet you emphasize it. And I still think at the high school level, you certainly should emphasize it. Um, but, the, but, the, but the difference is, you know, when you close a guy out, you want him to go by you on the three-point line. I think that's one of the, not want him to go by, but you'd rather him take a dribble pull-up two versus, a, a, you know, a, a spot-up three. And so, uh, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that one of the fundamentals still you preach is closeouts because I'm not ready to give up on that quite yet. Um, let's pivot from this now. Something that's very special to you. You are the founder of the Asian Coaches Association. Um, you are the first Asian American Division I basketball head coach ever hired in, in, in the history of NCAA Division I. Talk about this association that you started and how, how important it is to you. You know, I started it. First of all, Rex, I have to give Rex Walters credit because I, I, I did my research and everybody would just like the news, newspaper outlets came out and Rex Walters is half Asian. He was head coach at University mm-hmm. of San Francisco. And then in the 1940s, there was a head basketball and head football coach Japanese at Arizona State. So I don't want to, but, you know, you know um, we'll say in the modern era, um, you know, on one hand, the reason I think that I've had been able to break barriers is whatnot is because I don't, I try not to think about it and, and ever say, even though I knew from the very first years that I was director of operations at Columbia and I got moved to assistant, I realized, you know, in nine months, Kyle promoted me to assistant. I was really lucky. Kobe Allman, who was on the staff too, went to go start working for the Cavs and now he's a general manager of the Cavs. But um, I started to realize, oh, there's not many Asian coaches. And, and so in 2012, Kyle and, Kobe, who were both part of the Jewish Coaches Association that would meet every year at the Final Four, kind of just sit in the office in the summer, and they're like, Mike, why don't you start the Filipino Coaches Association? And I'm like, Coach, there'd be two of us. It'd be me and Spolstra. And of course, I didn't know at the time, because Kyle would always joke around and yell, I mean, introduce me at camp, like, oh, this is the second best Filipino coach in the world. So there's only <laughs> two of us. Um, so I was like, maybe the Asian coaches. So I just started it in 2012 at the Final Four. It started with 13 people showed up. Six of them were Asian. The rest were the Columbia staff but it grew over years. And I realized um, there's not many of us. That's the bottom line on the men's side. There's tons of them on the woman's side, which is really interesting. And as this summer, we kind of started our weekly Zooms and it's kind of grown. We get like anywhere from 60 to 150 coaches show up to these weekly Zooms. And I started getting calls. So it's become massive. Like it's great. And now we got people logging in from the Philippines, obviously, since I've gotten the job, there's been a lot more notoriety in in that sense, but 
it's important just because it's always it's so important to help the generation the next generation perform better than the current generation so like I've been lucky to be able to look up to coach Spolstra who actually sent me a really nice text when I got the job out of nowhere it was from a random 315 number so I was like I didn't even know and I read it and it said coach Spo at the end and I was like oh my god one of my idols just hit me up it was really amazing just to see that that and he showed up to one of our Asian coaches events because they were playing the Timberwolves in Minnesota at the final four so that was pretty cool but you know, it's become, you know, we get about 150 to 200 people show up, not all Asian coaches at the final four, because we basically have just, I, my goal was to invite everybody. So the Asian coaches get a chance to network with all types. It doesn't matter. Like the goal for us is to like start to grow as a community. But you know, what, what's important to me is that we kind of blaze a, a trail so that the next generation of Asian coaches, and there's a lot of them because they all call me, you know, now and they're like, well, how do I get in? How do I get in? And first thing I tell them is this, don't do it. Like I tell them, just like Kyle Smith, when I walked, in, walked into his office, he's like, don't do it. I'm just telling you right now. It's not as good as you think. You're going to start at the bottom. You're not going to make any money. You're probably not going to make any money the first two, three years and, you know, and so on and so forth. So I kind of give that spiel to every coach. It's kind of a test because it's, it's hard. It's not all, it's not all puppy dogs and ice cream. Like it's just, it's, it's hard, man. And you're going to go through and eventually I'm going to get fired. You know, like every coach does except Popovich. And, but like, you, you, you're going to get fired. Phil Jackson got fired, you know, like, and, and how do you respond? Or actually Popovich, he wasn't that good at, at the D3 or, or whatnot. And you just have to keep pu- pushing forward. You really, really have to love it. And I, I just did a little staff retreat with my um, coaching staff. And, you know, even through these challenges, which makes it hard is we're not able to do what we love again between the four lines of practice right now, because that's what we love to do. That's what we really, that's what I really, really, really love to do. Um, but anyways, it's important. And I, and I hope that it just opens up uh, a lot of people's eyes that anybody can do like any Asian coach. If you really, really want to do it, you can get there. Obviously coach Spo is just killing it right now. So that's, that's great for us to see. Do you feel like an added responsibility because you know, you're kind of the face of that, or you're the face of that organization. And so many people are reaching out to you, uh, Asian American coaches and trying to, you know, figure out how to get, you know, how to, how to progress in the game. Do you feel it out of responsibility because of that? Definitely. You know, and, and especially the Filipino community who's, is who really took this, you know, like I've done more interviews with the Philippines and like ESPN Philippines and the Manila times. And then, then since I got the job than anybody in America, you know, like um, maybe the Riverside newspapers, but yeah, there's a responsibility to make them proud and whatnot, but there's so many things to that can get added to my shoulders. And I just don't, I, I try to stay focused on the task at hand and task at hand right now is to get our guys back and hopefully get practicing. Cause I think that it looks like we're going to be playing November 25th. And, and so that's, that's what I try to keep our team and staff focused on is just the task at hand. Well, I think you're going to give great, great advice and leadership to those guys and gals because you started as a high school assistant and then you worked your way all the way up and you worked for free and you and you were the bottom guy and and you know people see you now as a head division one coach and say hey I want that but you know it it didn't just it it didn't happen overnight and there were a lot of uh struggles and adversities that you had to go through to get there and I know that you'll preach that to those people and and that'll make them better for it um and and I'm sure you do a great job with that um, how do you, you know, uh, especially with all this off time, how do you progress as a coach? How do you develop yourself professionally? What are some things that you do that make you better? You know, I've been, so there's some cool stuff you can watch documentaries and whatnot. Like I watched the one on, uh, I don't even know what the name was. I just finished it. The Manchester city one from a couple of years ago with Pep 
Pep. So learning from, I don't know why I've started to learn from soccer coaches now, Pep, and he's impressive. And they won, they won the title that year. And then I'm reading an Alex Ferguson book, who was a longtime uh, manager for Manchester United. But I love, I've read every single one of Phil Jackson's books. Um, so I do a little bit of reading. I'm not like an avid reader, but like the, the stuff I read is always in regards to leadership and coaching. Um, I think every time that I'm in front of my, and Kyle, you know, actually it was interesting because Kyle was a 20 year assistant coach in the WCC, 10 years at St. Mary's. And then he gets the head coach job at Columbia. And I remember he, I, I was first seat as director of operations and he would always be sitting during the games. And the first thing I was like, coach, like you, you're like Phil Jackson. He's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, I'm just so used to sitting down. Now you see Kyle, he stands up. But just the transition to being a head coach, it took him time. So you just got to learn, you know, you, you got to keep learning, you know. And so, like, I'm big on trying to learn from these guys who've been in these leadership head coach positions. But one thing Kyle taught me is, like, and he kind of learned how to be a head coach. And I saw him learn over those. It took us four years to be successful at Columbia. And um, it was meeting with the team every day. It was, like, even, even – if you didn't have much to say, it was like getting in front of the team and having some one minute message, or it, it could be nothing. It could be, Hey, but congratulations, Nick. You, you, we, let's give Nick a set. But it was something, getting in front of the team and, and positioning myself as that leader. So, you know, that, that's why leadership books and all that stuff really matters to me. Um, and I kind of learned it even running the sales company. Like as we were going through the crash and, and the real estate stuff, like I had to, to message the right way and motivate the right way and try to encourage the right way. And, deal with adversity the right way. And we're dealing with lots of adversity. You know, our stat, our team is dealing with tons right now because we're one of the few teams, the UCs and Cal States are very cautious. California's cautious and we're not back yet. And they're seeing all their boys and some have brothers that are practicing right now, full practicing. So trying to keep these guys, you know, straight, straight ahead and focus is, is challenging. So these leadership things and, um, you know, and then, and then I'm hanging with my staff and just learning how to, communicate and collaborate with them is is kind of stuff i've been focusing on but don't get me wrong it's it, it's tough it, it's tough right now you know i want practice bad it, yeah. that, that's but just you got i'm just trying to stay even keel and it's a test it's testing my patience for sure yeah that's for sure and, and you're right you, you you see other people getting out there and playing and and you just feel like we're falling behind and and but you know we can't we can't do anything we're not allowed to do so we just got to yeah. you know, continue to stay the course but um, how can how can our listeners reach you um, if they wanted to get a hold of you, talk to you, ask you some questions? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can email me. I mean, I, uh, just the same way anybody's. I'm pretty open. Sometimes, obviously, some days are different where I got a lot of stuff on my plate. But for the most part, if you email me, um, you can find my email on the website. It's my last name at ucr.edu. You can always reach me. You can reach me through Twitter at Coach Sonic. Um, however, message me whenever, and, and I'll always try to respond because I got I do get a lot of young coaches hitting me up and just asking how how and and how, how to do it, you know. Right, right. Well, coach, uh, I really appreciate you you taking your time out for this. Uh, it's clear you're a very busy guy and been pulled in a lot of ways. Uh, we will be excited when the, the Highlanders from UCR get back on the floor. Um, hopefully sooner rather than later. We'll be rooting for you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Nick. That was awesome. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksinado at ymail.com. See you next time.